When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show coming at you on a Wednesday evening. As always, I'm joined by Andrew Combo Salop, and we have, uh, you know, the middle of the summer to deal with. Not a lot of news to go through, but uh, there are always things we can talk about, which is always exciting. And I thought, you know, today we could talk a little bit about shooting since it's such an important thing. Is that is that fair to say, Combo? It's very important. It's probably the most important thing when it comes to basketball these days, in my humble opinion. I mean, I guess we could talk about some people's comments, and that's always fun, right? I guess we could do a little bit of that at some point, but it's always great to help others become better shooters, in my opinion. Yes, it is. And you know what? Sometimes we can talk uh, all about shooting. We can, I can do all the studying, and you, you're out there on the, on the court as well teaching it. I spend a lot of time actually recently with a lot of kids uh, solving some really, you know, some interesting uh, forms. Uh, and it's exciting to see that happen. But that said, sometimes it's better if you can get another voice into the room, um, maybe someone who has even maybe more experience than you or I. So um, what do you say? Should we bring a special guest in here who, who can uh, talk a little bit more shooting about better than we could? I say we should. All right. So uh, I am pleased uh, to welcome on the show. We have a three man today for as long as he can afford his time. We have let's bring him in is Rob Fodor, who is a shooting coach in the NBA. Uh, he, he works with the team. I think that they're called they're down in Miami. They're called the Heat, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, <laughs> Rob, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. I'm glad I could do it. All right. All right. Glad we can catch you at a time. I suppose this is one of those moments in the year where you actually have some time to talk uh, shooting, right? Surprisingly, yes, uh, that is the case. <laughs> all right. Well, we we don't want any more surprises, but we do want some interesting, cool info. And so I suppose um, I, where do, where should we start? Combo. It's a, this is a, an exciting uh, proposition here that came about so quickly. Um, how about this, Rob? Let's let's talk about something that seems to be, uh, I thought, a war that we had won several years ago when we're talking about the alignment of the feet. And um, it seems to me that, you know, most of the great shooters uh, have a bit of a turn to allow their shooting hip and shooting elbow and wrist to be in line with the basket. Um, what are your thoughts on that and how you teach it? Yeah, that I, I've always uh, I, I call it being open. So I, I always have my shooters, um, if they're right-handed, they're going to face to the left slightly. If they're left-handed, they're going to face to the right. And um, it's it's simply a biomechanical thing, kinesiological thing to get your joints to line up as they naturally are made to. Um, so there's there's no resistance. You know, uh, one, two, and I have talked about it a million times. If you... Um, if you picture, Nick, uh, somebody throwing darts, um, you know, when guys throw darts, the only thing that matters is that uh, it's that the implement goes straight. And mm -hmm. if you watch the way that they line up, they line up, you know, dart shoulder closest to the target, and then they go from there. So um, in my opinion, to shoot the ball straight is the most important thing you can do. 
to shoot the ball well. So why not start there? Love it. Combo, do you want to uh, throw anything in there? No, actually, you know, I've been talking with Rob on the phone for years. I probably talked to Rob more than anybody, and I never heard him ever even talk about this. So that was a new piece of information for me. Good. Well, <laughs> Rob and I are of a certain age. I think we're probably pretty close in age. And I get worried sometimes because people who are older than me um, sometimes don't recognize this. I mean, I, I listen, would you believe me if I had a discussion with Jerry West about this and he didn't necessarily recognize that the feet were turned it was strange but i think what he maybe what he meant was that you know he squared the basket for him is your your turn like rob described that's how jerry shot it and I, but but then again i'm not so sure some of those guys who were that good really really understood knew what they were doing they just did it you know chris mullen if you talk to him i had him on the show and interviewed him he had no idea what he did. <laughs> He's like, you had to tell me yeah. what I did. I don't know what I did. It was all feel. And that makes sense when you watch the guy play. He was all feel. So uh, it, it, sometimes it's an interesting discussion. But I, I have sort of – it's been bubbling up a little bit on Twitter perhaps. Uh, just a little bit of some weird pushback. And then, you know, we see some shooters still who uh, – well, Rob, what do you think about this? Like I feel like whenever I see a shooter, it's not often that, – not that often that, uh, in recent times. But when you have a shooter that tends to shoot from the side of their head – that to me was someone who was like trying to have 10 toes pointing to the rim being square to the basket. And that's their only way to like get the elbow underneath the basketball. Does that, does that ring true to you? Yeah. I think, I think that there's a lot of things that um, I, I think are, are a little antiquated, you know, and, and the idea of feet square, shoulder square, elbow straight. I think the idea of it makes sense theoretically but in terms of practical application when you talk about how your body works that's not how your body works that's not how you make something go straight even when you hold your if you hold your elbow straight most guys most guys don't um, because there's a again there's rotational joints that you're dealing with and and if i and i'll give you a visual but if i hold my arm up straight and i let my hand fall it falls slightly off to the side and if that's the direction I'm pointing at, it means I've got to manipulate it to get it back straight. So there's a there's a, a happy place depending on somebody's own biomechanics as to where, you know, where your arm actually goes. And I think that you know having that elbow straight um, starts to lend to a, a few other problems when people are playing uh, in close quarters. So um, I, I guess it's it's great for discussion, but. Uh, Truth be told, none of my guys do have their elbow straight or their feet square or their shoulders square. Cool. Love it. Love to hear that. Uh, I mean, again, uh, when back in the day when we were working with players and, and forcing them to shoot 10 toes in the rim and be square, um, you had a lot of, you know, elbows sticking out. You had a lot of hitches in the shot. And I feel like now that we've been able to teach this a little bit better uh, with HD video and frame by frame and really reverse engineer what we've seen the, the top guys do, I, I feel like that's kind of going away. Now, do you ever work with uh, younger kids below uh, NBA level? I, I, you know, I do. I've, I have in the past. Um, and, I, and I think um, something that you just mentioned, Nick, I think one of the things we're, that I'm really careful with is I don't necessarily teach people what the top guys do. Like I don't think you'd ever want to necessarily teach somebody what Reggie Miller did, or even even Ray Allen. Uh, Ray Allen was an athlete scorer who became a a great shooter because he's he has the will to do that. 
Um, but I, I don't think I would spend time teaching people um, to do what he does necessarily. What's up? Do you Combo? think? Do you? <laughs> what's up, Rob? Do you think the way he shoots is not the most effortless path? Is that what you're getting to? Well, there's there's um, there's efficiency that you can that you can add to what he does, but you know, Ray was incredibly efficient at being a great athlete and, and he's an incredible worker. You know, he was always, he was always getting shots uh, over and over and over and over in every situation. And I think he was, I think he had more mental strength than necessarily uh, technical strength, you know, and that's not to say that he's technically not great, but he's a, he was a great two motion shooter. Um, which may or may not fit with a lot of players coming up. Like, I don't think you'd teach that to, um, to most of the girls and the women or younger players. It's just more do difficult. Feel, do you feel like he almost defied the odds shooting that way and becoming an all-time great shooter? Uh, not necessarily. I, like, okay. you know, I, I've had this conversation with you. I teach three completely different kinds of shots. And what I would consider what Ray was doing, Ray was more of a scorer shooter. So I, mm. I, it's based on the nature of how somebody creates space. You know, gotcha. do they create space by speed on the ground, preparation early, or do they go vertical, go up in the air? Ray was a great athlete when he started. So that's kind of he built off of being a great athlete and being up in the air. So uh, that has different fundamentals than something somebody that would shoot out of quickness, like the model that everybody has in their mind is Steph. Um, or you watch uh, – some of the great women that play, they get rid of it in a hurry and, and they're ready quickly because they're not up in the air. So they don't create space in the air. Um, so again, I think that the fundamentals, I, I talk about situational fundamentals all the time, um, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the majority of the game. Okay. Well, you know what, let's put a pin in the two motion shot for one second. Cause that's gotta be something we talk about in a little more detail, but um, the funny thing about Ray Allen was uh, his whole reputation by the time he got to the end of his career was, I think, the quickest release in the NBA. Is that that's or one of the quickest, right? That's what they would time it. They'd show that. Um, but we, we all, I feel like I've always got to mention this. He probably had the, the biggest dip of anybody in the NBA in his catch and shoots as well. Um, have you did you notice that? And have you been able to wrap that around your head and figure out uh, how, how Ray was able to have those, both those things be true? Well, I, again, it depends on situations. You know, the um, I, I, there are times when you have to get rid of it a lot more quickly. You know, the thing about the thing about a great player like Ray is when you go running at him, Ray was a great player as well. He was a great scorer. He could put it on the ground. So he had the time to do that. You know, when you have people that are um a little bit more one-dimensional as far as quick trigger shooters and they're not necessarily a threat uh to, to be able to get them off the line um and granted when when ray was playing the the, the games changed a little bit even from when race played now mm-hmm. the priority is to get those guys off the line all the time regardless so you know i think people have adjusted and it's always interesting to watch when somebody comes in and does uh, certain things to a level of greatness that the league adjusts like that, you know, and the game adjusts. So the faster guys get shots off, the more, you know, the harder guys get closed out. So 
Fair enough. I mean, and so I think the, the point I was going to make, I guess, with that would be if the preparation is there, if the footwork is there, um, if you understand the rhythm um, in terms of the speed of the dip, and uh, then then yes, you can dip all you like, and it'd be a very quick release, uh, you know, versus the two motion shots, which do become slower. Let's talk about, if you can, uh, can we mention Duncan Robinson? Because there are times when he is celebrated when they throw him the ball on a perfect pass at uh, his shoulder height. Uh, there's a guy on top of him, so he really has no choice but to basically shoot those out of dip. Um, I, what I, I try and stress on that one is that that's the absolute pinnacle of professional shooter uh, skill. And I get worried, though, that other coaches see that and think, oh, I now need to train my varsity high school players to shoot that way as well, because that's the only way they're going to get a shot off. Uh, thoughts? Well, again, it kind of depends on, on uh, the nature of the player. Um, you know, what you're referring to is we put in for Duncan uh, is catch high, keep high, you know, and, and knowing that the closeouts, that people are going to play him closer uh, because he's not as much of a threat to drive by and, and, uh, and get to the rim. Obviously, you've seen him make a ton of counters now, and he's added that to his game. Game yeah. changed. He changed the game. The game changed to react to him. Now he puts it on the ground and makes plays. So, you know, you're always going to see this evolution of players. But I think you have to be able to have something that brings you to a level of greatness, greatness being a relative term for each player, of course, if you're the best version of yourself, then it gives you a chance to excel in, in a lot of different situations. So people are going to play him really, really close. You know, his first season, he was a, a dribble handoff guy. And, you know, you'd see Bam Adebayo come handed off and people weren't really ready to handle how, how well he could play that. So the next season, the league changed and, and how they guarded it became completely different. So the counters had to be used and gone to from there and, and his game grew and the league changed, but it's, it all comes about because of that one, that one level of greatness within the skill and the, and the ability to be able to get rid of a shot so fast that, um, that you have to change the way you play defense. I think that makes a big step towards anybody being great at what they're doing. Well, let me ask you this really quickly, because a lot of teams are running sort of pistol action and handoffs at the wing. Uh, not so much a few years ago when you guys were doing it almost primarily. So my question was, as you're installing that, um, did Duncan Robinson display that like coming in and you're like, oh, we really got to start running more of these get actions? Or um, did you train him then to become so good at it, which then forced the league to have to adjust? Well, I mean, if you look at our at, at our group, that year when Duncan – the, when we're talking about the 2020 bubble final year, we had three guys that were able to do that, you know, and, and those guys worked on it every single day. And, and this was a, this was a learned thing. And it's not something that you say, Hey, look, they're able to do that because college basketball didn't do that. So it wasn't like they, you know, they had this ingrained in their being, you know, these were all skills that guys understood that this is how that's going to, this is going to be your life up here, you know, and, Part of it has to do with the fact that we had a big guy who's a great ball handler passer too. So, you know, you build your game based off what you have, and then you build the skills based off what you're going to be able to do. Something tells me though, that as you're working on these and you're repping them out, your three guys. So who, I guess then it was, it was Robinson, uh, um, hello, he, hero. Tyler, I'm trying yeah. to think of who the third one was. Who's the third? Kendrick Nunn. 
Kendrick Nunn, yes, the lefty. Runner-up rookie of the year. I, I know, Rob, that you can tell me something that you guys, are, when you're working on, there's a little trick, there's a little something, a really great uh, recommendation, some some little little tidbit maybe you could share with us about coming off full speed of those handoffs and being able to hit them, or, or even this is the differentiation between directions, something. Is there anything out there that you can help us with as we, as, uh, me and uh, Combo continue to, to, to work on this with our shooters? Interesting. Um, I, I mean, if you're gonna if you're going to the the dribble handoff, I think I think you have to win win the battle of separation at the point of attack, at the point of impact. So it it's not at the point of handoff. The battle has to be won before that. So you've got to be able to create separation, change oh. speeds, change directions, get the defenders off balance because people are going to try and bully you. At the point of the handoff you would then have to be able to read what position the defense is in uh, both at both the X five. If they're, if that's the handoff guy and the guy on the ball, are they going to, are they switching? Are they switching up? Are they, are they point switching? Are they playing bully and under, are they trying to chase you over the top? Are you, you know, there's all the situations have to be, you know, have to be part of what you're doing. You've got to be able to read everything that the, that both defenders are doing. So from there, then you have to act accordingly. You know, and a great example is, is J.J. Redick as well. J.J. was one of the great point of impact winners because he, you know, he was willing to get into that fight. And it's very physical uh, before you ever take off. And, it's, and you can never be in a race. You know, if, the, thing about, the thing about basketball being a race is if you're going fast, the defense always knows where you're going to be. And if you're not if you're not changing speeds beforehand, if you're not changing speeds at point of impact, at point of handoff, um, it's that same thing. Like you see now, the guys sprint to the handoff and they stop. So the guys that are in the trail run into them. You know, if you get the hands in there, they're you know they're playing that. There there's a push off before you start. There's a change of direction. You loop up, up. There's all kinds of you know. So you have to play that game. When I think I think the part that when people train, it's very linear when the game's not played like that. So that's always a challenge. I'm going to jump in there. I'm just listening here. Okay. No, we want to make sure you, you, you're properly represented. Uh, love all of that. I mean, my, my favorite action now, I think, isn't even the shot off of that. I love when Robinson gets in the air like he's going to shoot it and then hits the handoff like uh, on a roll. That to me is really exciting as well. And I feel like that has to be, are you drilling that too? Are you drilling him to get up in the air and then make that pass? Or is it just easy enough for him to do as a, as a read? Well, it, it depends on, it depends on what the defense is doing. If they're in a, if they're in a, in a blitz, and that means they're trapping on his handoff. That's, that's the play. And then you can hit a short roll guy. Now it depends, you know, it matters who your, who your role guy is. Ours is, ours is really good. Bam, if you hit him in a short roll, he's a playmaker and can attack the rim. But if you're playing a drop big, uh, going up in the air, what we do, like we drilled for years, starting with Wayne Ellington. And that goes back a little bit. And this Rodney Magruder, Wayne Ellington, Tyler Johnson teams that we had. And then those young guys, Tyler, Duncan, Kanan, all those guys coming up. Um, we kind of, we want to have mental clarity so when you come off there's no shot fakes <laughs> so the, the guys will come flying off of there and they go up and 
you know, nowadays there's review contests and if guys are there, cause I, I still remember we had a conversation in a, in a uh, pregame shoot around and we were drilling that very thing. No shot fakes, no shot fakes. And Tyler came flying off one time and, and there was somebody right there and, or, or actually the conversation was, well, what happens if they're here uh, and it's hand to ball? And I said, well, when you go up, you'll know, you'll feel it. And I said, if you go up in the air and there's a guy there, you go up to shoot and they're there, just throw it to the big because you just came off the big. So it was really great because this happened so organically in the game that night. That's how talented Tyler is and these guys are. He came, he comes flying off and, and I can't remember who it was, but it's a really high level six foot nine defender who came flying around and had his hand right on the ball. Tyler jumped up in the air and he threw it to Myers Leonard who never caught the ball. This was great. Cause what I told, what I instructed the shooters, I said, you go up in the air, you throw it to the big, get yourself back on the ground and sprint back, chase the ball. So he goes up in the air and he throws it to Myers and Myers doesn't catch it. He just takes the ball one hand redirect bounce pass right to where Tyler's going to be. And Tyler comes flying back off and he's got it in his hands. Now imagine the guy playing defense. You just made a really great play because it's a battle to be able to get anywhere near that shot. And now you're on the far side going the other way and our guards are going back towards the ball and the big is in a drop. So the guy's coming off wide open and poof, there he is. And that was a just a beautiful play that we had not, all we had was a conversation about it. I hadn't even practiced it really. Yeah, you know, in 2019, I did a video or 2018 about the four must-have actions in your offense. And I think number two was you need to be able to sprint 15 feet into a catch. And however you want to find that, that's really important. And a lot of times offenses don't necessarily have that. And what I never really liked, though, was the sprinting 15 feet off of a pin down to like the wing where you're going completely away from the basket. Then you have to try and somehow get a lineman and shoot it. But uh, after that all came out, and, and I used pinch post action, which is, you know, nobody ran even then. But then all of a sudden, you guys come out and start running this, uh, you know, these uh, – do you call them get actions? No, I, um, I'm not – You don't have to pause, but <laughs> – Yeah, which is, it's just uh, – I'll leave out our terminology, but just that, that kind of pin down action. And our guys are drilled – we drill 30 feet sprints. You want 30-foot sprint into the catch? Yeah, depend. You know, because wow. nowadays you need. Because if you think about the nature of space, you know, if you're just running up into the next gap, there's a shrink guy there, and there'll be a stunt at you. And we're mm-hmm. trying to cut. You know, we're trying to get double gaps and and more space. And the farther, you know, the 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 more reaction that we can create by the defense, the better it is for the offense as well. But yeah, absolutely, like, you know, this is an incredibly difficult skill to be able to run full speed directly away from the best like our guys were really special at it because we would do a lot of rip screens back screens on the bigs and sprint and have to make 180 degree turns to get the shots off because again that's that's the nature of what the defense is where we're playing is there is there is there a tip for that one that you might want to say that you you're always working with saying hey you got to make sure you get your you know outside foot down anything like that in there that you've noticed uh, especially well, on those 180s we talk about dynamic balance and vertical posture and how to stop. We run at the level we're going to start our shots from. And, you know, the things that we practice, we practice things at a hundred miles an hour. And what I do is I make the skill. Now think about the challenge of that shot 
sprinting directly away, having to turn 180 degrees. So what we do in drilling is we probably make it 10 times harder than what the actual task is going to be. Like we have guys coming off with 360 degree turns. We'll come off of there and we'll make the ball have to go around our back with our hands. We'll have to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And people watch us train and they go, okay, what in the hell are you doing? And yet then when you watch it in the game, you go, oh, <laughs> we would have never thought of that. I, I liken that kind of uh, training to when you're like on the on deck circle in baseball and they have a weight on the bat, right? And you swing it a bunch of times and then you take yeah. the weight off, right? And that bat feels amazing. I, I kind of feel yeah. like that's what you're doing there. And also um, it's fun. Like I, I was a shooter. I, I, there was almost like a little bit of lack of pressure on me knowing when I'm coming off that, I'm going to quickly go you know, right, left and just let it fly. You know, that almost like uh, it feels maybe a little bit more of a, of, you know, it's more uh, liberating in a way to just sort of let that happen, especially if you guys are encouraging those shots. Really quickly, yeah. I wanted to ask you, though, um, you know, the, 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 the sprinting of the handoff is rooted in, you know, the 20s and the 30s. That's what they were running, you know, back then. And then it's the triangle offense stuff. And so my, I can't I love it when I get to see, you know, the modern skill set merged with the the ancient uh, movements patterns that they had back then. Uh, are you guys aware of that? Like, did you recognize this? Like, hey, we're running what the original Celtics did in the 20s. Or, or is that just sort of an organic? Uh, no, together? I mean, here's the thing, Nick, is, you know, there's look, there's only so many things you can do out there. You know, there's five guys out there. There's five guys playing defense. There's only so much space and there's only so many things you can actually do. So what happens now is, is like we've, we've actually invented a couple of things that nobody's ever done before, but it's so rare. You know, it's not like, um, I mean, dribble handoffs are just, it's a matter of how the speed has changed, you know, and, and the trickery and, you know, that's why when you have a really skilled big and they start dribbling at a guard, they're reading what the defenses are doing, too. And they're watching. They know, having having watched every play, what their defense is supposed to do when the handoff comes, if they're supposed to hedge up. And then all of a sudden you got to dribble keep, you know, and they come fake the handoff. And now they're going to the rim and they're split, you know, they split two guys. And, you know, there's there's always um, it's I, I think what the what the big deal is, is a matter of. Now the defenses have changed um, from how it's been, from how it was a long time ago. Um, you're allowed to do more, more things and different things, but guys are now where you saw somebody playing man to man, you were basically staying with that one man. And the rest of the guys were in help. Now the, the defenders. So when somebody's in a help side and you go get a pin down, it's really easy to get that guy open. Nowadays, the guys are, the, the defenders are sniffing out all the acts. That's what scouts are for. And you watch in tendencies whenever, like whenever you see JJ Reddick going underneath the basket, you know, he's coming off of a pin down somewhere. So the defenders will go literally get directly behind him. So they don't get screened. That's, that was a different, that's a different way to guard it than it was way back in the old days, even when I played um, and before. So guys would try to muscle you. But then you're in this popcorn machine of Anthony Davis and Antonio or Antonio Davis and Dale Davis coming down, setting a double pin down on Reggie Miller. And it's just bang, bang, bang. You know, now um, screening's different where the guy defending it gets behind the shooter and you're and you're getting in that trail situation. So that way you don't get you don't get hit. 
and that way you can maintain contact with the shooters. So there's a, you know, there's, there's always going to be nuances to everything and the development, but the game's cyclical, you know, there was a post up, um, there was more of a post up idea and the mismatch in the old days was, uh, the big versus the small. And now it's completely opposite. Now it's the small versus the big on the perimeter. So, um, but you know, at some point things will change, you know, probably change back depending on what kind of development there is with players. And like I said, there's only so many things you can do. You just have to do them better and better and better and have the nuances of the, the micro situations be changed. For sure. Well, wait, Rob, I invented a new defense and wait until you see it because this will radically change how the offense will play. And uh, we'll see if you guys are interested because it actually it, it mirrors some of the things you were doing defensively with uh, uh, in their zone. Um, I'm going to release a video soon, but just imagine that the guy guarding the ball is playing behind the ball <laughs> with a uh, imagine a drop situation, right? Where the, the defender's in jail in a pick and roll. Well, imagine just doing that right off the bat, <laughs> just getting behind the ball, having the big uh, uh, dropping originally. Um, anyway, yeah, I, well, I think I, Nick was Nick was doing that in Toronto with James Harden for a little bit too. Yeah, exactly, that's where it's rooted in, right? Um, what yeah. Toronto did, what uh, Houston did, what the Jazz did a little bit. This is this is like let's get off the bat and let's do it with the five man uh, for everybody. But uh, but let me ask you this: you mentioned that you had invented um, a couple things. Is there any way you can tell us maybe like one of the things that you guys invented uh, that that's new? And not, no uh, pressure, but you know, no, I, I get it's it's basically centered around one of the things that we work on is we work on a, a teaching our players to move differently than everybody else. And it's rooted out of an ability to be able to move differently, you know, because I, I, oh, that is talk about dynamic. Yeah. You know, when we talk about dynamic balance and how we train it, we do, we train it differently. So the things that people are normally doing, we do those things differently and it allows us to be able to basically reverse everything you're doing. And, and, you know, we can throw the ball in different places and make a play out of, where somebody would have to make a stab catch, we were actually making plays like that. So wow. I, I, it sounds a little vague, I understand, but it's uh, it's yeah. rooted in an in an you know in a competitive advantage and in the ability to move a certain way. Um, combo, I can hear you typing. He's he's booking his plane uh, flight right to Miami right now. Uh, I think I'll, I'll join you. So maybe we can peek in at the doorway and look at that because that sounds amazing. Uh, and I get it a little bit, but uh, man, I, I I would love to hear more about that. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know your your time is really uh, important, and you're on the East Coast. So it's getting later in the night. Um, but I thought we at very least should talk about uh, well, combo. Do you have anything else you want to ask Rob while we have him here? When you're not, you know, in the I mean, Rob mentioned. Rob mentioned posture a little bit, and I've talked about I talked with Rob about this before. But do you feel like when somebody's struggling with that, and we talked about how you have to almost move the basketball around your body when your posture isn't great, uh, is something that we've talked about the best. Is there is it sometimes something that you have to work on off the court when it comes to the weight room or flexibility, or is it always something that you could fix on the court? Well, oddly, when you're in the weight room, you're doing it anyway. You know, if you think about if you mm. think about going into a deadlift and your posture is not right, you're going to hurt yourself. You know, it's the same yeah. thing with squats. If you're, you know, if you have a a bar on your shoulders and your posture is is the, the wrong posture, they're not going to let you do the squat because you'll hurt yourself. You know, the thing about the thing about during the course of play, 
because you know you've heard me say this a million times nick the, i always talk about how that we learned basketball backwards and it's because of that you know there's a thing called a central programming generator which is basically a brain imprint and what happens is the first time you you play basketball your body's tipped over because the first thing you ever did was smack the ball on the floor as you're staring at the ground and your body's tipped over like this. So there's, there's all kinds of, you know, people that get caught up in, you know, angles of your body and what people are capable of doing. You know, they're great athletes that are constantly striving to be in this position when it's time for them to pull the trigger and shot. And it's, and it's because it's the most energy efficient way. It's the physics of it all. Um, and the more vertical you can move, the more vertical, the less things you have to do to be able to get a shot off. So if you picture Nick, if your body's over like this and the ball's here and when it's time for you to go to shoot, you either stick the ball out there or you have to get out of the way and then move the ball. So we work on the efficiency of having your body in the position at the level that you're going to shoot from when the ball arrives, whether you're on the dribble, whether you're on the catch. So our guys work on one level. We work on uh, dynamic balance. So we can stop and change directions, accelerate, sprint at all times. A lot of times right. you'll see. And you, and you know it teaching kids. You had just, just take five kids and say, okay, start a half court, sprint to the baseline and have them stop. And, you know, most of them will fall over and they can't do it. So <laughs> it's because yeah. of how you run I love that. I mean, we do stuff like that. We'll get them into a deep lunge with the ball and then have to try and shoot from that position, you know, without moving their feet into the jump, all sorts of interesting things like that to develop the right uh, muscle strength and balance. Love it. Um, let me ask you this before we wrap up. Um, but, you know, another big one that we've, I've been studying, this is a little bit of my uh, obsession, I suppose, is the, uh, where the eyes go and how, you know, so many of the great shooters of the past in the NBA and now, uh, follow the ball with their eyes on the release, or even maybe before it gets out of their hand. Uh, you can watch some of that. Sometimes we have freeze frames of some of the greatest guys, and literally the ball is here, and they're they're looking up already. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, that was a practiced thing. It was a learned thing because um, everybody was taught. Well, you have to have certain rotation on the ball. You have to hold the grip like this. So. People were checking. Oscar Robertson shot with one hand in games because he drilled so much one hand, and that's how he shot it in games. Now, much, obviously, yeah. he's a unique player, uh, but it's the same thing. I mean, guys used to do that where they'd watch the ball fly. But, you know, the, the thing about it is, is your body goes – and a lot – I've had conversations with a lot of great shooters, obviously, and they'll tell you when I'm not trying to follow the ball because your body goes where your eyes lead. If your eyes move, your body moves. And if you start looking up at the ball, then all of a sudden your head starts to move. And if your head starts to move, sometimes the more fatigued you get, the more things you're doing, the more your head goes back, the more your body goes back. Now you're losing energy and losing leverage on your shots. So, and, you know, plus you're trying to develop a spatial relationship with the basket, which is your target, you know, so... I think that there's, you know, there's always going to be a conversation. Yeah, you can look up and see somebody staring at the ball, but that's, you know, a lot of that's how that's how they learned um, to watch the rotation of it. Because it's interesting because no, no one's going to teach that, right? Everyone growing up, at least, you know, up until now, they, they told everyone to stare at the rim the whole way through, right? That's the only coaching they probably ever got. Is that, is that safe to say? Yeah. But we, the, the way things are taught, you're taught, you're having conflicting instruction. 
because you're saying keep your eyes on the rim, but then all you're ever talking about, a lot of guys are all talking about rotation on the ball. So the yeah. player wants to look up and see, well, am I rotating it properly? <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a constant, there's a constant battle of, you know, which one's going to win. It's, it's like combo. And I talk about just not to get too crazy, but when you put a cone down, what's the first thing the player looks at? They look at the cone. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tip over and, and that's where their eyes are going to go. And all of a sudden we don't process the game, you know? So I, it's, you got to be able to see where you're going. You have to be able to create a spatial relationship. You know, you, yes, we need to practice with obstacles out there and such, but it needs to become a skill on how fast your eyes can reacquire targets. You know, like when you talk about, when you listen to military snipers and they talk about how fast it's, it's target acquisition, you know, and, and professional shooters within the military that they have to uh, fire a shot and then reacquire. It's the same thing, you know, if somebody puts up a three and there's an offensive rebound and you're sprinting, you've got to reacquire your target as the ball gets back to you and you got to be able to, you know, and that's all done with your eyes. So obviously yeah. the importance of your eyes finding the rim, you know, there's it, that's that's always going to be important. For sure. And and again, like they find the rim, they're, they're aiming, they're aiming, they're aiming. And then uh, on the release or after is when they follow it. And I just find that fascinating. That you, we can't really ignore, I think, the fact that almost every great shooter we've had does this. Now, I'm sure you can also then argue a lot of bad shooters do this as well. Um, and so but but it, at some point it tips the scale in my mind that we need to really look at this. In fact, I use it. I, I actually teach it. If a kid is struggling or a, young, a player uh, and, they, and they're only staring at the rim, I will use it to say, hey, try following the ball. And I got to tell you, it's never not worked. It's amazing. Um, now, I will say this. There's a company. What's that? No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. There, there was a company that had these really cool glasses that could scan your eyes where your eyes are looking. And they went with the best uh, European shooters uh, and they, they took all this data on them. And what they discovered was, uh, was that these shooters would uh, target the rim as late as possible. So even in the beginning of the arm swing up, they still weren't aiming at the rim until it was like closer toward, you know, their chest level. And so what they extrapolated that was, is that like the best shooters don't want to get onto the target until they're sort of getting closer toward the release. And then ironically, what I've noticed is the best shooters get their eyes off of the rim as quickly as possible as a bookend on both ends. So I found that there's, I feel like there might be something there. Obviously it's mostly tapping into the psychological uh, aspect of the shooter, but we, I think, you know, we can put a percentage of it on what is psychological versus what is the physical part of shooting, but it's that percentage is going to be pretty high when you say well, I think that I think there's one word that that you're missing there, and, and I think it's habitual. You know, people's habits are are that. You know, as you're walking around, eyes eyes are always looking for things. You know, so that's <laughs> okay. You know, and basketball is a game of habits, and that's that's. You know, I talk about it a lot. Is that you don't. Um, you've heard people talk about rising to the occasion, but you don't rise to the occasion you actually fall to the level of your training. So if you are, if you're training situations where that you're going to be in, like if you picture uh, game six, 2013, Ray Allen, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 2013 hitting the, hitting the back pedal three to beat the Spurs in game six. Um, you know, he'd done that. Uh, he'd done that a whole bunch of times. We've been drilling back pedal threes for years and years and years you know, getting knocked down on the floor, getting back up and you got to find the ball, find the target, all that stuff. So it's, you know, it's just whatever, a lot of it is habitual. You know, this is how, this is how athletes 
when you're when you're training as a kid, that's what you're constantly doing. You're constantly looking at things. You know, the the ability to focus more clearly. Uh, you find you know longer, harder, clearer, faster target acquisition, and and then you just you know you kind of go from there. So, but the eyes are always going to go all over the place because that's the that's the processing unit of our brain. Fast, fascinating. I love all that. Um, now, the last thing I'll just leave you with is, you know, Wembenyama is coming into the league. Uh, he comes from Europe. Um, several years ago, I started to really uh, advocate for a very particular shot from deep. Um, and I think it's slowly, it's slow, but it will slowly start to, you know, find its way even to the NBA. And that would be the one-footed three-pointer. Uh, Wembenyama shoots it. Uh, as at seven five, which makes him, um, you know, unguardable. Uh, we've seen, you know, a couple guys do it in the NBA on occasion. Uh, there's a couple people now in Europe that do it a lot. Uh, I Juan Carlos Navarro had started doing it, you know, 12, 15 years ago. Um, what do you think about that? And how crazy do you think I am? No, I, I don't. I'm always, you know, I'm always looking for, we practice all of that. But oh, yeah? I, I promise you this, that every NBA team will be more than happy for you to shoot one-handed three-pointers against them or one-footed three-pointers against them. Because 95% of the time, you're going to be shooting at a moving target. And it makes it really, really difficult. You know, So if you get great at it, that's great. But you know, it, it, it'll be quite the challenge of a trend. You know, Victor can, Victor's always open. I don't care right. if you're shooting off one foot or two feet. You know, when you're seven foot three and a half in bare feet, you're open. It's like it's like Dirk. You know, Dirk's release point and launch angle combination. He put his elbow right in front into the face of the defender, so he created his space with that you know that levered elbow. And the thing for him is the fundamental of that shooting off of that one foot. If you look at how Dirk did it. Uh, Juan Carlos did it slightly differently. Dirk did it where his whole back, the back foot that he was on and his body were in a straight line up and down. It wasn't a fade. You know, a lot of times the perimeter guys are trying to figure out ways to get to open space and they're, um, who am I thinking of? The, um, Bellinelli. I mean, you can mention Jokic shooting a fadeaway three off of one foot in the, in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, again, Jokic is open with whatever he does, you know, because mm -hmm. he shoots it from behind his head and he's, you know, he's a, he is a savant and he's playing, he's playing the game, drawing you to that place. You know, he goes back on one foot. He's, you know, a lot of times he's doing to step under you and make the next play. And um, like if you think of Bellinelli, when he was flying off, those guys were, he was floating all over the place and he could shoot just about any shot going back and forth. You know, if you become great at it, you become great at it. You know? Yeah. I, what I've noticed uh, is it's effortless. You know, it's a very long shot. Uh, for NBA three pointer is a very long shot. And for me as, as an old guy, like even harder. And I found if I just come off of one foot with that momentum, I, my arm, it's just, it's such an easy effortless motion well, and to get it there with no it's, problem it's because you it's because your your mind tells you that the ball's got to be up and ready first when guys shoot off two feet there's all kinds of goofy habits to leaving the ball down and your body jumps up and the ball's low when you okay. shoot it off of one foot the ball's always up here first 
Well, so you but, don't but jump. You have all the momentum, right? Like you, you have momentum going toward the basket. Like I'm thinking about going downhill off a pick and roll and then going off of one foot like that. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's something that's a little something different. But it's always going to be the – it'll always be that same thing. The ball's always going to be up in front of you before you ever get yeah. to the peak of your job. And that, and that ties into their one motion shot and all those things. And, and, and last piece of that is I've also, also noticed that when you're going, like if you drip to the left as, as a righty and I go off my left foot to look toward the left wing, um, it, it doesn't seem like it's that hard to keep it straight. I know you're saying it's a moving target, but I don't know. It was no, weird. Because no, uh, you don't have yeah. to rotate. You don't have to rotate going to your left. Going to your right, right. you have to rotate your shot, your shoulder in front. And if you're too busy to cook this summer while you're developing your game, then skip the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleanup too by ordering Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kits delivered straight to your door. If you're trying to get back in shape for the beach, try Factor's delicious dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with no more than 550 calories per serving. You can choose from 34-plus chef-prepared options featuring premium ingredients such as broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. Head to factormeals.com slash bball50 and use code bball50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code bball50 at factormeals.com slash bball50 to get 50% off your first box. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so a great, exa- a great explanation there. So, so all of a sudden, yeah, there's also, like a bunch of It shots. also depends. But I will say this. It also depends. Off the dribble guys go left, catch and shoot guys go right. Because if you're going off the dribble – if you're going catch and shoot, going to your left, yes, you can fade a little bit easier, but the ball's closer to the defense. And when you're going to the right, so if you picture it coming off of a pin down and I'm going left, the defender is on my shooting side. If I'm going to yeah. the right, the defender's on my offhanded side. Right. So I have the space. But, but you're going to your left, side. but if you're going to your left, then your shooting hip and shooting elbow are already aligned to the basket uh, easily. No, no, no. Get that, I get that, but the but the defense is much closer to the ball, right? So, like you know, Steph will come off of those, and it's so quick because of that, and it probably has to be so quick because they're on top of yeah. That well, side, everything so. everything he does is off of speed. If you go back and watch films, you'll see. I think it was seventy three to seventy six percent of the times JJ Reddick came off catch and shoot, he came off going to his right, and it's for that. It's for that reason. Yeah, and so and you guys design your handoff action that way too, right? Where you want to get guys into the direction they, they're more comfortable going on those handoffs to shoot it? In a perfect world. We do, we, we make it so they don't really have a favorite way. <laughs> okay. you, try to get a, you try to get the defender moving to their weak way and go from there. Uh, fair enough. Well, Rob, <laughs> you, you've been too generous uh, with your time tonight, uh, jumping on here and, and breaking some stuff down. I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, seriously, we're, 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 we'll be there. We, we love the, we're going to fly down there. I want the love to be able to see some of this stuff because uh, you've now piqued uh, my interest and I'm sure everyone else's, whoever has, uh, you know, coached the game. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, I love what you guys do and you guys have a great show. Anytime I can help my guy combo, I'm happy to jump in and, and you as well, Nick. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here with you both. Believe me. You got it. You got it. Well, thanks. And, and combo, anything else uh, as, as the parting words before we go, before Rob goes? Thanks, Rob. Really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> my pleasure. Glad I was here.
You got it. Well, thank talk you, Rob. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon and, uh, and, and have, a rest, have a great rest of your summer. You as well. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks. Talk soon. All righty. Well, that was great, Combo. Thanks for uh, setting that up for us. Most definitely. I thought it was a great conversation. Um, you know, talking with Rob, I'm always learning. Um, he's a wealth of information, not only as a sh- in terms of shooting, but just basketball in general. So it was that was a lot of fun, Nick. Yeah. I mean, listen, there, there's about four more hours worth of questions we got to pepper him with. Uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, he, we could have gotten into dribbling and, and driving and all sorts of things like that, too. Um, so we'll have to do that. But uh, uh, another one. So but that was yeah, it was always great. And there's no question that the um, when someone's worked at that level, for, even for just like one season, that the um, the perspective that they have is 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 generally much different than anybody else's. And, and they'll have, uh, you know, that kind of uh, uh just a way to understand the game better. It's funny. I mean, this is not only with Rob, but when you talk to people within the NBA, sometimes the conversation is so different from what you hear from the fans in the media, right? Even though the media, a lot of the media have been in the NBA, Mm -hmm. but it's still like usually like a totally different conversation when you're talking to somebody that's currently in the NBA at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I, I feel bad because the Knicks streets are buzzing. Uh, had a super chat. It wasn't quite fitting with our discussion with Rob, but I thought we'd put it up there now. So thank you so much from Australia. Very generous of you, Knicks. The streets are buzzing. TM, <laughs> trademark. Thoughts on Mellow's quick release and FIBA Mellow. Um, so, you know, we didn't quite get into it with Rob as far as the dip. And I, I wasn't quite sure where he was on that at all because you know the dip for me is the source of the power you need to do it there's maybe one out of ten games you'll see clay not dip or duncan robinson they'll do it ten times all season if you're you know if they're lucky um but i always thought that Melo's quick release the key there was he he does what i teach which would be the speed of the ball going down in the dip has to match the speed going up so it is so hyper quick and that that's that energy transfer and that that leads to the power that always felt like that was the key for him. It was it would go down up real quick and out, uh, and um, and it, it, he had a beautiful jumper. Yeah, I mean, Olympic Mellow was different, man. Yeah, <laughs> that well, guy you know is. Why, I, right? I mean, he, what'd you say? You know why, right? Tell me. So when you take well, well, well one yeah. thing is one thing is is that that three point shot fit a little bit more into his range. Not that he was a bad three point shooter, but. You know, he was kind of always known as mid-range mellow, and the FIBA line is a little bit closer. So I thought that little bit of distance closer kind of helped mellow to because he could kind of keep his mid-range bag, but still shoot it from three. Uh, yeah, you know, to me, it was more of a function of his role in the offense. So mm-hmm. if he's number one on his team and he's got to do all the jab step, ISO, step back, the other mid-range stuff. Um, for him to suddenly go into a team where there are three guys better than him, you know, which is rare. He'll never, you know, except for FIBA and, and Olympics, who won't be in a situation. So now he's basically playing like the Steve Kerr role or the JJ Redick role, you know, and he can run the line. He can catch and shoot. And there's a lot of uh, focus on Dwayne Wade and whoever else he played with and LeBron. Uh, you know, that means that he will have much better looks than he ever had uh, in, in the NBA. Well, I mean, he was great in the NBA. Do you think the same thing happened with Durant? Because obviously Durant's all-time great in the NBA, but he's also one of the all-time great international players when it comes to this country as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they all make each other better, and they all their games adjust on those settings for the better most of the time. Of course, we've had moments when you've seen, like, the 88 team got beat, uh, 92 team, you know, 92 team is a dream well, team. 92 team, team won it. 
And actually, Barkley was the best international player that year. I mean, obviously, Jordan was the best player of the team, but Barkley scored the most points. I think he wanted it the most at that point. As well, 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 yeah, maybe, but it's the same thing with Melo. And you know what? You might even argue it's that position. You know what I mean? If you're playing that sort of small forward position, even though just the way the basketball works, uh, I think a lot of times that you probably would benefit from guy playing alongside guys who are either centers or like or ball handling guards uh, who take so much focus from the defense, especially at that level. Uh, that you can, yeah, you can find yourself leading the league and leading that team in scoring, even though you might not like be the best scorer, the best, the best player. That team was sick, though. I mean, that the 92 dream team was silly. Um, but for the most part, yeah, when they can get these teams going and Steve Kerr is going to be coaching them, uh, uh, an interesting team in uh, next month uh, for this year in the America Cup or whatever cup it is, sorry, the World Cup. And then next year in the Olympics. So, um, you know, it, I, I, I have faith that that. Coach Kerr is going to be able to figure out how to get them to, you know, they're going to win, I would imagine, although it's going to get closer and closer. But uh, I, I have faith that he'll be able to get them playing like a team, which is what's going to be really necessary because it's gotten closer and closer. And I've been pretty critical of the Olympic teams the last couple of times. Um, was it Coach K? Who was a, the head coach, right? Um, yeah. I, I felt like he just wasn't um, – they weren't, they weren't playing like a team enough, and they were getting very close on a couple of those games to getting beat. And you know what? It could very well happen even if they do play like a team. But, um, you know, because you're talking about these international guys now who are, you know, look, look at the MVP candidates. None of them are American. That's right. So, I mean, some of the top players in the NBA don't even play for the USA team anymore. And some of the players that were the best players a few years ago, the American players are getting older now. And yeah. Will they be the same player? Will they even want to play in the Olympics? It's a whole different discussion. Team Canada looks really interesting. Yeah. I mean, they got, oh, that might be the they video got I got Shea, They got Dort. They got um, who else they got? I'm uh, Wiggins right now. Wait, if he wants to play Wiggins, I mean, uh, they got a squad. Philly. What? Olenek. Yeah. You know, they have a lot of, you know, NBA guys. And that's oh, Jamal Murray. Team. Jamal Murray. That's what Jamal, Murray. Jamal Murray. Yeah, they have a really yeah. good team. Uh, well, thank you so much, Nick. The streets are buzzing for that question. I'm really great. And uh, I, have, I guess all I have to say to you is bing bong. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Homer, 234-22,000. 234-22,000. Thank you so much. I don't even know what that means. But but are you a bot? I don't know. But either way, thank you for the super chat. Hang on. Uh, which two Nuggets players need to improve their catch and shoots and moving shots to repeat as champions? Combo. Christian Brown, for sure, is one of them. Um, Coach Nick, you might have another guy, but we talked about it. He was a better shooter in college than he has been in the NBA. So I think there's something to be said there because he's a guy that has shown it in the past. And with Bruce Brown not on the team anymore, he has to really step up. And there's other guys who are missing who are integral parts of this team that are going to be moving on. And I think that's the one area that he has to improve upon for this team. He's going to have to play more minutes and he's going to have to shoot the ball better. So I'm really looking at Christian Brown to improve as a shooter because he showed it in the past, even though it was a different level. Yeah. Well, I got another name for you, a friend of the breakdown, Zeke Naji. Uh, okay. He's been on the show. We've talked to him and, you know, he's had a couple of seasons of elite three point shooting, very low volume, uh, but, you know, not a lot of opportunities. And then this past year, you know, he played in 53 games uh, and, and only averaged about a little under 14 minutes, but um he uh, he's shown the ability to do that. And I think he might end up being thrust into that role now that uh, who else do they lose or anybody else besides Bruce Brown? 
I think they lost Uncle Jeff, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right? Jeff Green. So there, there's a spot there for him to, to you know, grab that by the tail. And uh, where do you grab it by? You grab it by the horns and uh, and get in there. Grab it by the nuggets and um, and just uh, hold on. Um, I don't know. Is that, don't is, know that a, is that a segue to a commercial on the last show? Yeah, right. You know, and if you uh, want nuggets from that's what we need to do. We need to get some commercials on the live shows. That's what we need to figure out, Coach. Nick. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't usually do those, but we maybe we can throw one in there. You want to do one for Manscaped right now? Um, but how about this? Here's a commercial for my video I did yesterday on, on Sabrina Unescu. Go watch it. You know, it, it, there's some really awful comments in there and really misogynistic stuff about women that really shouldn't be there. And I kind of left them up. But, um, you know, it doesn't matter who is shooting the basketball. There's a lot to be learned from that. And I broke it down in really good detail. And the response has been good when they get it and they're watching it and not complaining about, oh, the ball is smaller and the whatever. It's like she nailed those. She nailed the 25 footers, too. Um, you know, just which is as deep as anything the, the men are shooting. Um, I think we need to get away from that discussion. I, I kind of was glad that I didn't even have to bring it up. I'm just breaking down shooters. So uh, go watch it. Go watch it two or three more times just to get those numbers up a little bit if you don't mind. And um, that'll help. But um, we have another super chat, looks like, from Bron, best friend of the breakdown. Bron, always great to see you. Um, he, uh, thank you for the generous super chat, too. When you guys were talking about off-ball movement, I couldn't help but think about Rip Hamilton. Would have loved to see him in today's NBA. Now, Rip also had a bit of a two-motion shot. Never much of a three-point shooter, but he would have he would have had to have been. Right. That's what I was thinking. Like he would have learned to stretch that out um, in the modern NBA. He wouldn't have been playing like that because you know the mid-range shots usually come from the league's best players creating off the dribble and not really off screen action anymore. So it would be interesting to see how he would develop, but I'm sure he would have evolved. It's almost like when people say, you know, Scottie Pippen didn't shoot a lot of threes. Like if he was in the modern NBA, Scottie Pippen would oh be shooting God. more threes and he'd be absolutely great. And I think it would, Rip Hamilton would be the same because these guys are great basketball players and they would adapt. I'm watching a little Rip Hamilton right now. It's I'm going remember his form. You know, it's a two motion shot. It would stay, it would stop because he would bring the ball up a lot earlier, which is how everybody shot it, which is probably why they didn't shoot so well from that deep uh, because it was, it made it a little bit harder, but uh, you know, and they remember Kobe did the same thing. And then his last year, in the 19th year, whatever it was, he tried to go to a one motion shot and you know, he, he it was probably his worst three point percentage ever. Cause you can't really do that at that stage of your career. I think if you're going to do it, it's got to be earlier. I, I would think, but nonetheless, I don't, know. I don't know about that coach, Nick. I mean, okay. You're right. I, I, I don't, I, mean, I, I think somebody could like, I actually think that's the one skill that you can improve but, later on. But you're talking about radically changing your form like that in year 20. Like that just seems a little bit, he ended up shooting, you know, 20 under 29%, which was pretty much the lowest of his career. Um, and you know, I, I just think he would have had more success to shoot it the regular way. You would have been 33, 34, whatever. Uh, you know what I mean? That would have helped the team better. Well, I mean, kudos to Kobe because he was trying to find a way to get yeah. another advantage. You know, he yeah. was trying something new. Maybe it did backfire on him for one year, but who knows? I mean, if his body could have kept up, maybe he would have improved as a shooter over time. Because I do think like I know we use the term one motion, but just like that's a better way for to get yeah. your energy transfer, right? But, you know, we, we didn't talk about one motion with Rob, but let's talk about it for a second because, um, you know, well, let's explain what it means, at least for me. So one mo two motion would have been, uh, and we talked about this in the, in the UNESCO video, um, 
when I was growing up, we learned to, as you were bending down into your shot, if I get over here, you can see me. As you bend down into your shot, you were bringing your arms up like that to shoot it, right? Whereas now what you watch me study Steph is he goes like, he's this, and then up and out. So that's partly, whoa, well, that <laughs> that's partly the, uh, the, uh, the, the one motion. But the other key here for me is I want the ball to stay in front of my face the whole time. So I think Drew Hamlin was the first guy that really was able to articulate that notion. And it really helps in your teaching because you also had guys like this who would shoot the ball like that from the top of their head. You know, Michael kind of do this, Scotty, all those guys, they wanted a high release point. And that's the two motion because, look, the ball's behind my face. So um, you want to keep it in front the whole way through. And what I've been grooving recently because I've had a couple of kids who've been doing this is I have them throw me a one-handed pass, a one-handed snap it. And then yeah. from the waist, then I had them bring it up in like in this sort of C motion up toward the shoulder height and then snap it with the wrist. And then I have them come up face height and snap it with the wrist. And then I have them bring it up, snap it. But I have them throw me a little arc on that pass. OK. And so and then at that point, what I'll do is this is all, I'm giving away all my secrets here. But um, at that point, what I'll do is I will say, OK, throw me one of those passes with a little bit of arc. I'm going to throw it back to you and then shoot it. And then they shoot it. Now throw me one of those passes and then throw, I throw it back in and then shoot it. So we're kind of reinforcing the one motion, keeping the ball in front of your face and sort of accentuating the snap elbow and everything in front. Uh, it really helps. It's like I've been slowly solving a, a one guy who was really, a, you know, top of his head uh, shot. And uh, it's so much better. And he's got so much more range. I mean, Rob talks about this. He talks about pass it to the basket. And, you know, he does similar drills just like that, just like what you're doing. So. I definitely see what you're saying. I think an important part of all this, Steph's wrist is loaded so early, right? And really no. quick, and it allows him. Yeah, it is. He's got late wrist extension. All the good shooters do. So you mean it's, you think you want to say that his wrist is like this when he's on the way up? Yeah. Actually, Steph is really strange, and you probably wouldn't teach what Steph does on this part of it, but Steph um, a lot of times has his hand on the side of the ball. Let's see if he can. Like this, and then he'll and he, he kind of shrugs his shoulder a little bit, but he'll go like this, and then eh, where can you see it? Where's my hand? Where's my yeah, right? we can see it. Here we go. So he'll go like this, and then only as it's getting here. Yeah, but it's loaded. Side of the ball, and then as he brings the, the wrist back on the way up, he is now under and everything like that. You see what I'm saying? It's that it's that high though when it when it when no, it turns to not. that. You're right. It's that's different. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, but the wrist is neutral all the way. The wrist is neutral as he starts going up. To me, what I thought you were saying is he's got the wrist back early like this from down here, and now it's, you know. This is tense. I don't like this. So, you know how we talk about the dip? You want to dip the ball and shoot it like that? Well, you also, this notion of the wrist kind of going back and then forward is, is sort of the same kind of rhythm. So it's back and then forward. Uh, Tommy and I, B-Biomechanics, have studied this for a couple of years now. And um, we're always commenting on how the late wrist extension, which means, yeah, you're not jamming it back too early. But we might be saying different things. I'm not, not exactly sure, which is why we probably should be on the court together. Probably should. Probably um, should. And you know what's funny? I, I, I had this plan of doing a whole, like, training summit where I was going to bring all the best, top, the top trainers all together for, like, a weekend on court, and we'd film the whole thing. Um, I don't think it's a good idea. I think I decided that it wouldn't be a good idea. Tell me why. I, I just think that maybe you, you wouldn't have the kind of conversations that I, I would think you would have. I think egos are involved. I think um, nobody want, maybe not, might not want to share. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I think I, I, mean, I probably could get something better with guys who are not like the top guys with big names, but who are awesome and the, probably the best teachers in the in the world who are at different levels. And just because they don't, t- you know, train, you know, NBA players, now people don't know about them. But uh, I don't know. Well, I, I'm starting I mean, to wonder I, if that would be a good idea or not. There's a lot to dissect with what you just said. A lot. Yeah. Well, you know what you, I'm talking about. I mean, because you said the, you said that, but you basically said the top traders in the world aren't the best teachers so what makes them a top trainer well I, i'll flip that and say some of the <laughs> absolute best teachers are not training the nba guys right they're out there training okay other i mean that that's i mean i'm a, as as almost having 500 podcast episodes i could really like dive into what you just said so yeah it's like like really dissected like basically yeah. you said the top and the best teachers are two different which doesn't make sense in some ways right shouldn't the best be the top no I mean, well, it would be nice, but uh, it's not the case. So what? No, what I'm saying is, like, when you're the best basketball player in the world, that means you're the top basketball player in the world. No. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not. But when you're talking about the teaching, the training, that doesn't necessarily mean whoever's training the top basketball player in the world doesn't mean he's the best trainer. Oh, that means top then. If you're. If what, you're I, what I mean are the guys who are training the NBA guys, the big names, that whole so, thing. So, so you're saying that's what makes you top? That's what I'm asking. I guess so. Yeah. If you want to use that term to, to mean that, yes, but that doesn't mean they're the best. So, but, okay. but you know, to me, I, I guess I'm looking for, you know, for, you know, but they are great. I mean, they all have information, but it was like, it just seemed like, Hey, let's get all the, you know, the so, so whatever, whatever. They've never been in the room together before. Let's do this. I'll moderate. But I, I, I'm wondering if that's the best idea, but then we've got some trolls in here. Should we like, you know, sometimes guys who are in the comments uh, will say stuff and, you know, like I, I was a high school teacher for a little while. And, you know, the guys that were disruptive, like in the back, they make noise, whatever. The, the last thing they wanted was actually attention on them, right? Even right. though they're trying to disrupt the class. And so I would give them attention. And then all of a sudden they're like, quiet. No, never mind. And whatever. I'm like, okay. But I, I wonder if we should do this because um, let's see here. Uh, Jimmy Dix is out here. Let's just call this out and whatever. He's, and that, by the way, he's got, I think, kudos for the freeze frame, which do you know what that's from? You're not, you're not well-versed enough in, uh, in pop culture, are you? Not to tell me. All right. That, that, if I'm not mistaken, is Damon Wayans from Last Boy Scout, which is a really great movie. So, Jimmy, kudos for that. But um, first of all, I'm a little old, but if I was younger, then, yeah, you you would not be hooping me, whatever that is. And Combo played professionally, so I don't think you'd be doing much of the hooping of him either. Um, Now, this is really kind of Tom Crean. Come on now. I don't know why he's coming up unless – we have the same skin color. I don't know. We both wear glasses, but geez, um, that's a problem. Tom Crean, not so welcome around these parts. Um, let's see here. It's almost like these two these guys have never shot a ball before. Now, fr- frankly, I-, I will say that, you know, my methods are, are fly in the face of like a, what a lot of people have learned in the past. In fact, I had a kid I'm working with right now and getting great results tell me when he first started listening to what I was telling him, he thought I was insane and thought I was didn't know anything about shooting. But you know, a couple of weeks in uh, after at, at that point, and he was like, "Oh!" And then when the results were, he, the guy's nailing ninety percent of his of his shots and these drills now. It's crazy. Um, so that that let's let's keep going. I mean, this is probably what he wants, but so what? Um, anyway, and then Homer is going in on him. But um, anyway, I was an I was an awesome shooter. So I'll just tell you that right now. I was the guy who they yelled shooter. Like, you know, we start those pickup games and the guy wouldn't know in the beginning and I'd get that first shot off, you know, and everyone would get mad at them for letting me get it. So that was me. Yeah. I anyway. Mean, I, have no, I have nothing to really say to the guy. I mean, 
All right, right. Uh, but hey. <laughs> He's like... Yes, Jimmy Dick says he plays pro ball on YouTube, actually. All right, that's that's great. Anyway, um, so I think... <laughs> What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you plays pro mean? ball on YouTube. Plays pro ball know. on YouTube. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh, oh, and nothing happened with me and Tom Green personally. I just, I, you know what? I shouldn't talk out of my uh, like that. Uh, my memory is of watching Green's teams. Like I always sort of was frustrated by the way they played and the way he coached. But, but I, I might be lumping him in with some of the other guys unfairly. Uh, I can't remember now, but. Um, I do feel like there's something going on in my brain with Green that I didn't never really liked. He was at Indiana. Where else was he? Was he at Marquette? Where did Green coach? He was at Marquette, right? And then and then maybe Indiana. Anyway, uh, lethal shooter should be on the show to talk about his base teaching. Okay, I don't know about that, but anyway, um, Combo, did you play in the G League or what NBA team were you on? No, Combo played in in, the, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Israel anyway. and Denmark. Yes. Real game. I mean, that's real legit, you know, post-college experience. Yeah, it was a great experience. You learned more off the court than even on the court. Great experience. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I would I would have loved a, a chance at that. But by the way, you know, I'm talking, trying to talk with the uh, Maccabi team uh, for the uh, Jewish Olympics in, uh, in Jerusalem next in 2025. The Maccabi, a- the Maccabi Games you're talking about? The, the Jewish Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Maccabi game. I, call that the Maccabi game. I think um, I think Gottlieb helps coach one of the teams, right? Am I correct? Gottlieb, um, I don't Gottlieb. know, but I'm 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 talking to them. Maybe that maybe try and help coach. So we'll see if that can uh, happen. Um, that'd be fun. one of the guys who wants me to play on the 45 and over team, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I think I'd rather coach that team than play on it. But we'll see. What ages they got? 35 and over and 45 and over? Uh, yeah, they keep adding. They, they 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 might want to even add a 55 and over or something like that because there's every every iteration uh, across the world you'll find all kind of guys that want to play. Uh, B dot a B dot a dot five. Remember him? B dot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever happened to him? He was on my. He came on the show. We we filmed somebody together a long time ago. He was like in a commercial. Oh and- yeah, he was um he was doing all like the funny stuff. He was yeah funny. he imitate players perfectly right. Yeah, if it, I feels like one of those things when like he's probably like he's a consultant now and has to like stop all social media. That's what it feels like for some reason. I Interesting. Well, I, mean, you know, I, 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 I just I just totally made that up, by the way. But that, that's <laughs> all right. right. I mean, listen, he was that was a really great way to like get viral and then and then you know capitalize on that. He did a great job with that. Yeah. Um, I'll have to maybe I know I have his number somewhere. I'll have to try and, and, and track him down. Um, anyway, well, anything else we got to talk about before we wrap up? We're already no, that was no. that was a great that was a great show. We it had Rob cool. on the show. We talked um, about Olympic Mellow. We talked about what the Nuggets could do to improve. And uh, it was a great show. We got to do it again soon, Coach Nick. We're doing this on the weekly basis. We might have some other stuff coming up for everybody out there um, in terms of maybe some in-game commentary. Right, Coach Nick, in the future? We'll let yeah, that Absolutely. We'll uh, by the way, it. I'm seeing some other comments here uh, that I maybe want to throw up here just because before we, uh, we go. Um, let's see here. Where, where, where did it go? Oh, here it is. Real quick, let's throw Max at a good question here, Max French. Coach, how important is the aim of your shot, and where do you personally aim? Because we were getting into this as far as the eyes following the ball. I'm not even sure I really agree with Rob on any of the stuff he was saying about how the, the eyes and following the ball after the release. But um, I, I, I love to hear different um, opinions because, you know, it's it, it, there isn't necessarily a right answer to that one. But uh, how important is the aim? Well, like, like I mentioned with those glasses that the guys were uh, using on the great shooters in Europe at the time, this is probably four years ago, 
that they they would they would target the rim as late as possible. So I find that fascinating. So the reason why I like the following the ball with your eyes real quickly is the end of the show. Let's see if anyone's even still here listening. Um, when I, I was always on the rim or you, you're a rim guy, right? You don't want yeah. to on the ball. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's what was taught. Right. So if you're following the ball with your eyes, you're not you're just doing it. This is a natural thing. And a, a lot of people do it. Um, when I know I'm going to do that, I become a lot more hyper aware of where my, my, my mechanics, my hip, my elbow, my wrist. And I like that. I like because I know where the rim is. I don't it's not moving. So I'm on the rim on the rim. So then but then also I still I'm still as I'm about to look up, I still I can just feel it more. I'm more in the moment. So what I what I feel like is when you cast your um, your focus on an object that's 30 feet away, because it's not only just a distance, you know, uh, along the floor, but it's also 10 feet high. Uh, you can get out of the moment. You can kind of lose track. And I know you want to be smooth and rhythmic and just sort of, uh, you know, not thinking about it, let the body just naturally move. But it, it also helps to have the right muscles engaged properly and not have muscle slack and all those things. And I feel like that really, really helps. And I, I, I wasn't lying. When I pull that out of my bag, if I'm working with a guy and he's always missing, missing, whatever, I say, okay, now do this. Try following the ball with your eyes. It almost all, I would say maybe, I can't remember a time where it didn't work. It, and, and even though it felt weird and the guy's like, yeah, this is strange, the ball would go in more. They'd get more feedback. We'd be able to have more uh, control over the shot. So that's my take. Now, where do I aim when I do aim? I aim in the front, you know, the front, the, just like Steph talks about it, uh, the thing that holds the net, that little whatever that is, you know, uh, that's where I aim at. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and, and growing up, that's all I did was stay, stare at that rim at that one spot the whole time. But, when I, and then, but now I, I actually follow the ball more because I actually like it more you know, when I'm focused on it and I do it. So what about you? Where do you aim? Yeah, I aim at the rim. I don't really think about like, I've like played with like, you know, front of the rim, back of the rim, but then I just thought that was too much thinking and I just want to put the basketball in the rim. So you just kind of <laughs> yeah, generally stare at that direction. Yeah. You know, Drew Hamlin so. told me when he, cause he was a shooter in college that he would sort of want to aim for the air in the middle of the rim. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, why not? I don't know. For me, I'm a I'm a kind of a concrete like I, I want a tangible thing to aim at. And air in the middle of something doesn't really help me um, do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I see where he's going with it. Like you want to put it in the rim, right? Like now, shoot it, to, shoot it to where you want to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean hey, cause like, right? Because in in reality, if you're aiming at the front of the rim, then all your shots should be short, right? It should hit the front of the rim. Yeah, but, I mean, some people say just over the front of the rim. I heard people say that before, you know. Yeah, but all right. That, again, that's just over the front of the rim. Still sounds like air. I, I like also it. feel like once you've been doing it for so long, it's almost like it gets harder to explain because it becomes second nature. You're not like thinking about where you're aiming, right? As a shooter. Uh, you know? Okay, fair enough. And also, yeah. like for me. There's a power calibration that you establish as you're learning how to shoot the ball. So what what I am doing by aiming at the front of the rim is I'm learning how to then get it just past there, right? I know what that feels like and how to get it there. So I'm not really aiming. Yeah, this is this is a fascinating conversation. I'm not really aiming at the front of the rim. Then at that point, I am I, I, I am looking at that, knowing that I'm going to put it just beyond that uh, or in the middle. So which is, which is actually the which is actually the air that. I guess. Uh, yeah, right. Now I'm back to staring at the air. I mean, it's all psychological. I think it talks about how psychological the whole shot is, right? This is a shot where, and by the way, staring at the ball or following the ball with your eyes after the release shouldn't have any effect on anything. But I defy anybody who was a rim guy to then start shooting that way. Every one of those guys is going to tell me it's a different shot. It feels different. It's different. There's something going on there. 
that's the brain. And, uh, and that's why the brain is so important with all this stuff. The there was something else is important. Well, I forgot. Oh, well. Um, all right. Well, I think uh, we can wrap the show up now. Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you so much for everybody out there. Thanks for the super chats. It's great to have everybody here. I know it's the sort of the dog days of summer, but uh, we will continue. We will talk a lot about basketball because people need their fix. Uh, please go back and watch that video from yesterday. I really appreciate it. And then stay tuned for, oh, we were talking about a good idea. And now I'm for, oh yeah. Well, can team Canada beat team USA? That might be the next video. You should do that. Um, we got to start taking things to the next level. Coach Nick, I think our goal, for, I don't know if we're supposed to talk about our goals on, on air, but whatever. We, you know what? One day we have to do a live show in person where people come and watch us talk basketball and people are actually in the audience, like yeah. tangible. Like maybe, maybe we aim for Vegas next year. We build up to that. Okay. Yeah. We got to be somewhere where there's is a target rich environment where a lot of people uh, who are interested are in one spot like that. So yeah, we could figure that out um, somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually seen it where like a, a bunch of different podcasts have gotten together at a bar or like a, at a venue and oh, then during the whole show, each one gets the, you know, a 25 minute segment or something. Uh, and then they kind of combine everything that, that, that could be something too. Yeah. That, that'd be awesome. We gotta, we gotta work towards that. Maybe next, you know, Vegas, uh, it's actually going to be in Vegas again on uh, November for the mid season oh, tournament. Is yeah. it really? Yeah. Well, so, we could talk about that maybe. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Listen, I'd go to Vegas to, to do that with you for sure. All right. Let's 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 make it happen. All right. Well, thanks so much, Combo, for being with us. Thank you, Rob Fodor out there, wherever you are, and uh, and everybody else is part of the conversation. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We are a conversation. You in? Are you in, Combo? Yes, sir.